Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the podcast of Community Bible Church. Serving the Rogue Valley from Central Point, Oregon. We are a multi-generational family. Equipping believers to be adopted in, growing up, and reaching out through the gospel. Family, uh, we are in the part two, if you will, of Matthew chapter, or Mark chapter five. Um, and, and again, I think that this is very important. Uh, we live in, a, in an age that name it and claim it and health and wealth, but basically teaches, you know, if you have enough faith, it can happen. All right. Well, we want to look at a fuller understanding of Scripture and we want to see what the Bible teaches about faith and the author of faith, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we're going to do it against the, the backdrop of probably the two of the greater miracles, at least in terms of our memory and, and connection, that are found anywhere in the Bible. The first, as we talked about last week, was Jairus. Jairus was waiting on the dock as Jesus came from the other side of, of the Sea of Galilee. And he's there, please, Lord, please, Lord, my little girl's about to die. Please. And if I can do anything this morning, I want you to come into the characters by emotion, by connection. Uh, what would it be to any of you this morning if what you heard was the experience of that pain? And Jesus immediately says, yeah, let's go. All right? And, and as they're walking from the dock to Jairus' home, the next thing we hear is a woman who 12 years bleeding from her period says, if I just simply touch Jesus, touch him, the hem of his garment is all the sufficiency I need, I'll be healed, and she says, I will, in, in essence, disappear into the crowd. No one will know, but just being near Jesus is sufficient. And family, the, the whole procession stops, and, and I want to even interject right now, what must Jairus be thinking? Wait a second, time is of the essence. Time, what are you doing stopping to talk to this girl? My girl's going to die. But they continue on as, as, as he first talks and, and encourages this nameless woman. Your faith, your faith has made you well. And then they continue to Jairus' house, and by now... Jairus has been told, don't bother the master. Your little girl's dead. Your baby's dead. And seemingly his own single daughter, one of a kind. Now he, she comes and he says, don't worry. Don't worry. She's asleep. She's not dead. And can you imagine the jeers as, as Jesus is being called a fool, a, an idiot, stupid, and he says, hey, James, John, Peter, come. You're going to go upstairs with us. And they go upstairs. And he looks down to that little angel and says, little girl, rise, get up. And family, what must that been like that day? Against the backdrop of early in chapter 5 as the, the demons of the man of Gadara are thrown out pigs drowned. Come here, Jairus' daughter raised, a little farther down the road, 
this woman who is in 12 years of agony is now healed. I don't know that there would be a, a singularly more physically exciting day to have experienced if you were a disciple, right? And so from that, we're going to see lessons in faith. And so I want you to walk with me. We, last week we started with just the simplest of them all, and, and it's one that governs all of the lessons in faith that we have. The Bible teaches clearly to trust Him to act. You and I need to believe that, that we serve a God who not only redeemed us, who not only changed our lives from sin to new life in Christ, dead to alive. We need to do that, that God is capable of absolutely anything. If we truly believe He is omniscient and omnipotent, all-knowing and all-powerful, we also believe that He's sovereign enough to strategically help us and we believe that he can accomplish absolutely anything that that omnipotent God declares. A.W. Tozer said this, he says, God is looking for people through whom he can do the impossible. What a pity that we, only, that, that we plan only the things we can do by ourselves. And I think that that's a, a fair statement of many of us We'll go so far in our faith, but if it becomes really, really difficult, we stop. A friend of mine once, once taught me a, a lesson. I had led him to the Lord. We were going down to the street, and I said something about finances. And back then, Kathy and I had two, two, two dimes to rub together. And he says, Pete, faith is in the zeros. And I said, what do you mean? He said, faith is in the zeros. He said, do you believe God can give you one dollar? between breakfast and dinner? Oh, sure. He said, 10. Oh, yeah? 100. See, faith is in the zeros. You just keep adding a zero and find out where your faith stops. <laughs> All right? So you look down, and, and, and the faithful person, he just keeps putting another zero and goes, that's my God. All right? The rest of us stop at some point along the way. God longs for people to trust that he can do the impossible. So let's be reminded, no, no, no doctor could raise Jairus' daughter. That empty, broken woman, bleeding for 12 years, knew that she would be different if only she could touch Jesus. So remember, trust is both a responsibility of the mind. We believe that he can do that. We see that the truth of Scripture, so the uncertainties of Scripture, have already been laid under the foundation of truth. We can trust that. We, we know what the Bible teaches. We anticipate. But you see, then trust and faith and belief all act together in the outside. They take you down the road, down the street. They make you risk. They allow you to be vulnerable. And without that, you don't have a sufficiency of faith. And so the first key lesson that we want to see today is that the, the Bible clearly teaches us to trust Him to act. And I hope that that's why you've gathered in the name of Jesus Christ today, that you are not just checking off a box 
that allows you to say and sit and, and watch the Super Bowl this afternoon, you went to church. You see, you're here because you accepted a Redeemer, Jesus Christ, and you believed that heaven awaits you. You believe in a concept that we know as eternal life. You believe that there is a home waiting for you in a location that we call heaven, glory, and that there will be a day in which that recreated world, the one that we walk on right now, will be our abiding home forever. We believe that. That's why we're here. But we also trust Him. We trust Him when <laughs> we don't have enough money to pay our bills this month, and we get down on our knees and say, oh, Lord, please help me. I, we can't do this without your help. You trust Him to act when you're worried about a neighbor who doesn't know the gospel of Jesus Christ, the, the, the greatest story. And, and you take it upon yourself first to begin in prayer, then, then to make effort, maybe first with cookies, uh, second with an opportunity of serving and talking together, then slowly praying that the, the gospel would become interjected within your conversation, looking forward for the day for God to do the impossible in your life. You see, we believe God is going to act. So now let's look at the fuller understanding of faith. And it's very important that we look at this second one. It's not found in the text, but it's really important and vital for us to recognize. The Bible clearly, or teaches clearly, that no can be expected. I, I, again, he didn't tell that to Jairus. He didn't tell that to the woman. And yet at the same time, it's a very important detour to our understanding of faith as we go through those lessons this morning. Because we live in this time that, that Jesus can do anything I want done, we live in that moment of time. And sometimes we get the idea that, boy, if, if, if he, we don't get it, then it's obvious that we don't have what that person down the road has we often think that that if we believe enough that god has a guarantee with us that we will get our desires though we must trust him to act knowing that he knows best he may give us a clear no family one of the greatest no's in all of the Bible, is found in the character of Moses. You know, when you, when you think of Moses, do you, do you think of too many people in the Bible that had a, a greater intimacy and walk with the Lord? A man who walked with him, the Bible says, face to face. That, that, that relationship so strong that as he walked out of a conversation with Jesus, the Bible tells us he had to cover his face because it glowed. All right? An intimacy. Now the book of Numbers teaches us that just one day from a 40-year assignment of taking Israel from Egypt to the promised land, Israel is angry and frustrated. They don't have enough to drink, and they come and they whine to Moses. And God tells Moses very clearly, I want you to go, just do nothing more than speak to this rock 
And when you speak to this rock, water will come out and will take care and feed the, the nation. Well, instead of coming out, again, please interject yourself in all of these as he listens to the whining crowd. He comes and in absolute frustration, instead of following the plan of God, he hits the top of that rock with his staff. Now water comes out. He, God takes care of the needs of the nation. But listen to what he says. Because you didn't treat me as holy, you'll not go into the promised land. Because he acted in this selfish, frustrated way that, in fairness, every one of us would have had a moment in time to act that same way. Petty. God says, that one act, 40 years of faithfulness, that one act, you're not going to the promised land. Now, family, we get a hint of Moses' next few years of prayer as he talks here at the end of the book of Deuteronomy. I want you to listen to what it says. He says, I am 120 years old today. I am no longer able to go out and come in. The Lord has told me, you shall not go over this Jordan. And God said, no. No. You didn't listen to me. And even though for 40 years you were faithful and consistent, for 40 years, and what a great reminder it is when we think of heaven itself, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. God's standards are quite exacting. So family, the no may come because God's glory or his authority could be diminished. Uh, it may come because our prayers are self-serving and not God-honoring. So no is his answer. It may come as God disciplines us. It's tempting to believe that a yes from God confirms his blessing, while a no is a form of punishment or heavenly disapproval. Don't ever believe that. We may always think that God isn't listening to our prayers and pleased to be heard when no is the answer. But that is not the case. I want you to listen to J.I. Packer, a, a godly theologian. He says this about the no's of our faithful pleas before God. He says, perhaps he has new lessons in self-denial and self-distrust to teach us. Perhaps he wishes to break us of complacency or the undetected forms of pride and conceit. Perhaps his purpose is simply to draw us closer to himself. Or perhaps God is preparing us for forms of service in which at present we have no inkling. So in fairness, we don't know why God doesn't answer our prayers but I want to encourage you today that that does not mean he is not listening. I want to even suggest to you that God is acutely aware of why he said his no. And we'll see that more in a moment. The most significant no found in the Bible 
is the most beneficial to you and I. Family, we'd have no redemption today if God the Father answered the prayers of Jesus Christ in the Garden of Eden, or excuse me, the Garden of Gethsemane, when he said, let this cup pass from me. Let this cup pass from me. Father, I don't want to bear your wrath. Carrying their sin is far, far more than I could ever imagine. I don't want to bear your wrath. We have been in eternal relationship with one another until this very moment in time. I don't want to bear your wrath. But he would add, not my will, but your be done. And family, understand the greatest privilege that we have today is that the Father said no to the Son. And so never, ever forget that even Jesus Christ has experienced the no of faith. And it does not mean that God is unattentive to your desires and your hopes. But as a father who loves you, there is something about that prayer that will not give him the greatest glory, nor you the greatest blessing. So God teaches no clearly. I want you to notice that thirdly, the Bible teaches never lose faith. Persevere. So Mark chapter 5 verse 28 could say, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And from the home, she strategically presented an idea by which she would seek out Jesus. I think Jairus is even more so in Mark 5.36. The text says this, but overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, don't fear, only believe. Only believe. The lady believed that Christ alone could heal And people could not. And she sought him out to merely touch him. Family, I want you to use your imagination as I've I've encouraged you all morning long. How frustrated at, at the woman would you be if you were Jairus? Think, think for a moment. Time is of the essence. The clock's ticking. My little girl's gonna die. And now the woman comes up and interferes with his fast walk to his home. All right? Come on, Jesus. Come on. We don't have time for this. Send this woman on her way. Okay, she's healed. Let let it go. She's fine. Let's go. My daughter's going to die. Let's go. Hustle. Can you imagine what's going on in your heart and mind? Family, I can only tell you, any of you who have gone through the pain of loss, of anyone who's intimate in your life. You want God to be, be listening to you and you alone. As if you're the only believer, the only need, the only hope, the only desire. You want God to be giving you 100%. And in this moment of time, can you imagine what Jairus must be thinking? I'm telling you, I'm explosive. 
I'm explosive. That little girl does not have a chance against my wrath if, he interf- if she interferes with the chance of seeing my little girl be healed. You see, time's essential, but by waiting, Jairus' daughter gave Christ more glory. The little girl actually died and the mourners knew it. And I want you to hear me out. Jesus had to be encouraged, or Jairus had to be encouraged by the Lord to continue to trust. In the authority of Christ, death is no more difficult to treat than waking up a little girl from a nap. And it's important for us to place our life experiences here where Jairus and Jesus are walking to his home. See, because perseverance is in the wait. Jairus had to persevere, and maybe emotionally, as much as any of us in any moment of time, because his little girl's at home, but he began the journey at the dock, and he didn't know anything, and he had to get home. This period of time, this, this perseverance of hoping, of praying, of, of walking with Jesus may have been as scary and as fraught with difficulty as anything that you'll go through, even though that was a condensed in a small period of time. Family, perseverance is in the wait. So in, let me Simply say, don't stop seeking God's work to save those on your circle card. Don't stop. Don't stop praying that God grant an important prayer. How many times is something important to us on Monday? And even though life hasn't changed, that same prayer is not as important on Friday. And by, by now, it's already gone from our care list. You see, if it's important, don't stop. If it's important, continue to care. It's important, don't quit. Persevere. Wait. 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 Family, don't think that you have to take matters in your own hands. Abraham's an incredible picture of perseverance to us. Abraham was promised that he would become a great nation. But Isaac didn't come for 25 years after that promise is spoken. Now, there were times when he wanted to engineer his own solution. Those of you who know the book of Genesis, that's exactly the case. He starts first with Eleazar. And again, if I'm going to put it into Pete's paraphrase, it might sound something like this. Hey, God, I don't want to trouble you. I know what you promised me. You'll make me a great nation. I'll tell you what. Let me just simply adopt Eliezer. You know, I'm getting a little old. And have you seen Sarah lately? I don't want to disturb you. So let me just adopt Eliezer. And we hear clearly God saying, no, 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 no. Trust me. 
trust me. All right? A few more years go by. Sarah's looking down going, hey, God, I'm not getting any younger. Do you see me in the mirror yet? She says, hey, I got a plan. We'll, we'll, we'll go to in vitro fertilization. We'll use the finest science that we have available to us today. I'll give you my handmaiden. Maybe she can have a baby. Abraham says, yeah, that's good. Good idea. And we have Ishmael. And God says, wait a second. That's not how I, I have the story written. You're, you, you, you need to trust me. You need to trust me. And then at 99, we have Isaac. Family, I want you to understand the incredible vulnerability of this. First off, God says, I promise you a great nation. How do, how do we start with generation one on great nation? One child. We didn't get the 12 for another three generations. Not only that, I love Isaac's name. And if you ever want to name a child in symbolic reality to your faith, name him Isaac. Because it means laughter. God laughs at the faithlessness of us. And forever we'll be able to laugh at the faithfulness of God. And we have Isaac reminding us of the joy of the Lord. Family, Romans reminds us of, of the, the faith journey of Abraham. Listen as chapter 4, verse 18 and following. It says, in hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Family, do you want to hear what's ultimately the most encouraging part of this? I gave you two examples where Abraham kind of let his guard down on that faith. And God doesn't even remember it 2,000 years later. You and I, we're not going to have a perfect understanding of faith. We're not going to be rigid in our trust with God. There's going to be moments when everyone in this room wavers. And I love the simple privilege. God looks at the big picture. God doesn't remember the blemish. He remembers the character. And he says, Abraham was faithful. He waited for 25 years till laughter came on the scene. Never forget. Never forget. We have a God who asks us to persevere, to wait, so that when he answers, that answer will be glorious. Entrust yourself to God's hands. Is there something in your life for which your faith needs the trust of perseverance? 
If that's the case, I want you to, to, to sit down, either mark it in your Bible or at least write it in your notes this morning. Identify with the character of Job, who through his entire struggles says this in chapter 13, verse 15, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. I'll hang with God no matter what happens. Family, let's notice the next key lesson that we find in Scripture. The Bible teaches that faith is vulnerable. The Bible teaches faith is vulnerable. Some of our greatest lessons that we've ever learned practically from God is when we were holding on to the last four inches of that rope. And if God did not answer, the rope was going to break, we were going to slip off, there was no hope. And God gives his greatest lessons to us in the complete and utter vulnerability of who we are. So Mark 5.22 can say this, then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, See, and seeing him, he fell at his feet, Jairus did, and implored Jesus earnestly. Family, Jairus left everything behind to bow in front of Jesus. Jairus is the president of the synagogue, a synagogue filled with men that we identified as Pharisees, who had already plotted to kill Jesus Christ Jairus sets all his prestige, all his power, all of his community expectation, his community identity, and bows before Jesus in absolute vulnerability and says, I want my little 12-year-old girl, and you're the only one who can do anything about it. At the same time, verses 31 and following say this about the woman. Jesus looks down and says, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Forgive me, but who would want to be in that situation knowing that you strategically thought, I'll touch him, I'll just touch him. And now you have to bow in front of him and say, Lord, this is true with my life. This is true with my life. This is true with my life. And, but I knew you could fix it if I just came to you. And, and, and family, interject yourself in the lives of, of, of that woman right now. Can you imagine the humility? We have struggled going in front of the doctor and telling him different things that are going on to us physically. Can you imagine what it must have been like to be vulnerable before Jesus Christ to what this woman had been experiencing physically, psychologically, as well as spiritually? You see, faith demands our vulnerability. And if, if, you're, if you're at all aware of the Bible's teaching the Bible is not culturally sensitive to people. If you're worried about your self-esteem, close the Bible and walk away right now. 
The Bible calls out sinners, calls out the habits of nationalities. So in Titus, we find that Cretans are lazy, and that's going to be there forever. The Bible is not a culturally sensitive book. And through Paul, God calls the Corinthians to remember that they're not status-blessed. They are not politically collected or connected. They are not substantially rich. He describes them rather as foolish, weak, low, and despised. Family, the principle at work within Scripture is that God intentionally uses weak to accomplish big things. The reason God does this is so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. God alone is to get the glory. So when we find the energy of faith, it's our vulnerability that's empowered. We lift our eyes to God in hope. We remember His promises. We submit before a God who with nothing to give, we offer Him our hopeless insufficiency. Family, remember when you came to Christ? You were called a sinner and you were expected to repent of that sin. But family, if, 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 if sinner has lost its bite, remind yourself this morning of just what the Bible calls that sinner and sin. You were born dead in sin. You were a filthy rag as a sinner. You were a dry, crumbled fall leaf. You were wicked. You were under the wrath of God. Romans 3 said, poisonous, poisonous mouth. You expressed words and that your life was an open, whitewashed tomb. You get the idea that there's anything good about you and I before we expressed ourselves by asking Jesus Christ to redeem us? Family, one of the expectations that God has for us is to confess our condition. I've got nothing to give. I've got nothing to offer. I, I, I can't get to heaven by anything that I've done good on this life. And so, like Moses, one bad thing stopped him from the promised land. We've got nothing to offer. But I want you to understand that's true when we come to Jesus. Don't ever forget that's still true. You've got nothing to give. So to Christ followers, Matthew 6 describes our physical vulnerability. The amount of food that's available to us, we can't increase or decrease. The material benefits we have, the length of our lives, the control of the future cannot be changed and you can't guarantee it family for everyone that's been blessed by overtime 
Someone else has seen their overtime taken up in taxation, bills, or unforeseen issues. Is that not fair? You cannot count on overtime. You look down and say, well, I'm going to plant more food. You can't guarantee your crops. Just keep the bees away. So you and I can't look at anything in this life and add to it. So instead, Christ tells us to forget them as a concern. We seek the kingdom. We have nothing to offer to restore our relationship with Him. We have nothing to fix the basic needs of our physical life. And family, I want you to understand, in our vulnerability, God uses us and empowers us. Now, I want you to hear me and hear me well. I'm presenting to you today our circle card. I want you to look at my circle card because I'm making this a confession to you. COVID has put me in horrible, horrible frame of mind. You see this? It's absolutely blank. There's not one word on it. All right? This is my circle card. I want to remind you this morning, if faith is vulnerable... Let's be fair. Let's start with the first by looking at the second. Have there, is there not prodigals in your and my life that one day had expressed the gospel of Jesus Christ and they no longer are walking with the Lord? It could be your, your, your sons and daughters. It could be your brothers or sisters. It could be key, key people, friends in your life that you're still friends with, you still see on a regular basis. They proclaim themselves to be Christ followers at one time, and there's nothing that gives evidence that they know the Lord. And there's no confidence that we should ever say, well, at least they accepted the Lord. We should not have that confidence if there's no fruit in their life. And so, family, they should be on our circle card, and we should be taking them to prayer. Secondly, we'll look to the first, whose potentials in your life? Now, let me tell you how God worked in my life. I hate the fact that I have to come and share this to you this morning. All right? Having been convicted about it on Thursday, I walk home on Friday and I said, Lord, I haven't cared about my neighbors. Open up a, a, an opportunity of conversation. So I get home and I walk by my neighbor every day and he has some dried flowers. And I want to I plant the seeds because I like the color phase, but I didn't want to just steal them, even though they're just dead flowers, all right? I didn't want Pastor Pete to get caught. So he just happened to be out in the yard, and it turned into the, the coolest conversation. It wasn't gospel yet, but I didn't know him all that well. He said, man, please take them. Open the door. I no sooner walk around my house, I'm heading into the garage, my neighbor to the left sees me. Hey, Pete! He's just moved in. He remembers my name, I don't remember his. So we sit down. He says, hey, you know how to run my irrigation? I said, yeah, I've taken care of Donna's stuff for years. He said, would you do me a favor? Could you spend a couple hours with me? And show me how my irrigation works? Careful with your prayers. <laughs> I, I go into my house after a few minutes of conversation. I talk to Kathy. And after conversing with her, I head out to my backyard. And my backyard's 
fence has been cut up. First reaction wasn't godly. (laughs) But Jerry's standing there, the guy in the back. He says, hey, Pete, I'm sorry. I was doing some fixing up, and the fence broke. And he was putting something there, and all of a sudden you realize he was so afraid of moving our fence around that an an area of responsibility that needed two feet worth of maneuvering, he tried to do in four inches. So he dug a two-foot hole with really what amounted to be a little hand shovel. I said, oh, Jerry, you shouldn't have done that. We need to fix this thing right. I said, hey, I'll be over to help you out. Thank you, Pete. Man, I really appreciate it. So... In one prayer, I got an, an hour or a couple hours workday with this guy, a couple hours of workday with this guy, and an open relationship with him. All right? So my potentials have all been filled in, in, one, in one afternoon. All right? I want to challenge you. I, I want to challenge you. Be vulnerable for the, for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Somebody cared enough years ago to share the gospel story with you, even if it was just mom and dad. Somebody cared. Somebody cared. They were vulnerable to share the greatest story, and you responded to it. And you and I will be eternally grateful to those men and women who did. So family, we need to put ourselves in vulnerable positions, whether that be in the future, in in giving opportunities. And you look down and say, church, why do you always demand money? Well, I believe it's God putting us in vulnerable positions to allow us to trust Him with the very things that He entrusts to us that we can allow Him to use for His honor and glory in ways that we never expected. We need to encourage each other, especially as we get out of the doldrums of this miserable pandemic, to remind ourselves afresh that that faith is vulnerable. Faith isn't just waking up in the morning and accepting. Faith is something that we push ourselves and we trust God to do something as He works through us. I want you to notice lastly, the Bible teaches that asking and answering is intrinsic to the father-child relationship we have with God. So listen, Mark chapter 5, verse 34 says it this way, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. God always takes a familial relationship over us. He is not just God, He is Abba, Father. And it's interesting for me to see that Christ also calls this woman, who's near His own age, daughter. According to Isaiah 9-6, we use every Christmas season One of the messianic titles that Jesus has is Everlasting Father. So family, he's not Father as God. The Father is Father, but he cares for us as his children. God treats us as his children and has a right to care for us in the thoughts and the strategy of a parent. You see, Knowing when the exact plea of our desires is to be answered is the responsibility of a wise parent. To know exactly when to give us what will be the best for us 
though we don't know that issue and all of the responsibilities of answering our desires means is the responsibility of a parent. So Matthew 7 could say in verse 11, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, you don't always give them what they want, you give them what they need and what will benefit their their time and that life experience that they're going through. If you know how to do it, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? So family, as, as we finish this, this time in chapter 5, um, I want to encourage you as you go to prayer, either today or, or in the days to come, give the Lord the desires of your heart. Trust Him that He will give you the best answer that a loving Father will give. He will give an answer that's the most rich, most personally fulfilling, kindest answer that you can receive from God. And know that because you trust Him, He hears. Even though you trust Him, you trust Him enough to say no. Even though He's a God who answers and you didn't get your answer, you stick with it. Because you trust Him, you're willing to put yourself in a vulnerable situation where you're not in control and you have the expectation of fear. Why? Because He's the Heavenly Father who knows exactly what to do to help you. Father in Heaven, I pray that You equip our faith that we see and that we know and that we desire a relationship with you that's based on your empowerment and not our talent. Father, that's based on our dependency in you and not our strength. Father, I'd ask that you'd be with us, dear God. Continue to ignite us afresh as we begin a post-pandemic walk with you. And dear God, may that post-pandemic walk with you allow us to see into the tomorrows for a new generation of American men and women, a new generation of American children who will need to be equipped on what it means to know and follow a Savior when the paradigm of America may be changing. Father, be with us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast of Community Bible Church. Follow us on Facebook to keep up to date with all our latest content. Thank you.